0: Check, check, check one, two. Welcome to the Dispatches from the Scandamaniac podcast. I am your host today, and always, Captain Rylan Johnson. Uh, been a few weeks since I've recorded an episode. Uh, I can't really remember what's happened in that time. I just got back from a three-day kind of sailing tour. Uh, life's been busy. I, uh, think since my last episode I decided to run for MLA. I officially quit my job and am unemployed. I've been, uh, trying to live my best possible life aboard the Scandamaniac. It's been, uh, going well. And, uh, without further ado, I guess I'll just hop into today's episode. My guest today is Colleen Kenny. Colleen, can you do me a favor and, uh, ring the ship's bell to start the episode? All right. Just Good. smack it. No, like oh, oh. Like Just, I would just hit it really hard. <laughs> hey There. That is perfect. <laughs> it went right <laughs> off the levels. Um... Yeah, Colleen, and this was kind of a, just an impromptu fortuitous recording of the podcast. I walked into Cat's house today to return her musk oxide and you were there, house sitting, dog sitting, and here we are now recording a podcast.
1: Yes,
0: I'm, uh, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. You, uh, I kind of, I think it works out just perfectly. We are we're, we're be- at the beginning of uh, what I would say is a blossoming friendship. I'm yes. quite looking forward to getting to know you, and uh, I find the long form conversation is a great way to do that.
1: Yeah, so, very exciting. I didn't know you were running for MLA.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, well, that is happening, yes. That's
1: amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, what what uh, area of t- town would that
0: be? Yellowknife North, right? Yellowknife North. Where I am sitting on right. board this boat.
1: I don't even know, like, the areas. I should yeah. probably be more involved. It's,
0: it's fine. <laughs> so, Yellowknife North is a riding that consists of the Ingram Trail, Old Town, um, Summit Condos, yeah. and Niven. It's nice. kind of the way that border is drafted. But, um, yeah, where do you live now?
1: Uh, Fraser Tower. So. Uh, you
0: are in Great that Slave, would be I believe. Julie Green. Oh, well, I nice believe. Yeah, I, I don't know the border of Frasier Tower. Anyway, yeah, enough politics. <laughs> um, so perhaps Colleen Canny, but uh, soon to be Hardesty, is that correct? Is, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah
1: looking to change my name, I found out it was only $134 mm-hmm. an application and your old birth certificate so they can give you a new one with your new name.
0: There you go. There which you go. is
1: much simpler than it used to, I think it used to be like 600 bucks to change your name so um, it's very exciting to have my mother's name Hardesty instead of my dad's which is canny and just has always sounded... Cheesy, you know, same amount of syllables, a lot of C's, a lot of N's, a lot of E's. Um, And yeah, it's just exciting to change my name to something that's more representative of uh, where I feel I come from and my family ties and all that good stuff.
0: Yes, yeah, so maybe you can tell me a bit about the hardesties because I, I know a few hardesties and I assume you're related because they're from the north. Yeah, um, there's
1: a few like f- Fardesties as I call them. They're You know, fake yeah, faux, yeah. <laughs> faux hardesties um, that, you know, married in, like have maybe the name through marriage or whatever. Uh, my mother is the pro, like the expert to go to about familial relations. There's been a few guys uh over the years where like they're from another community but i don't know like what their family is so i go to my mom and be like oh mom please tell me he's not my cousin he's so pretty they, the pretty ones always are um <laughs>
0: <laughs> it runs in the family
1: <laughs> but yeah where uh my hardesty clan is from is gmarie river uh aka that's A.K.A. daily very hard to say um means like water over clay in dene aka so slavey uh aka dene from the dead show so yeah that's uh a little low down heart disease there's lots of us and there are a lot of people that we're related to so even people that have the hardesty name there's all sorts of interconnections Um, and my mom will go on and on and usually she loses me after a few minutes but it's uh, very interesting to see all the different families and where they kind of cross over or um, different areas where certain families would meet different groups um, through millennia so
0: and then, so, your your father's name, Canny, wh- where's your dad from? I, I take it, it that name doesn't have, like, that northern connection or
1: kind of Yeah, he's from recognition New factor. Brunswick. He's yeah. from Fredericton. Um, I think it was, like, my great-great-grandpa that I um, immigrated from Ireland. I heard it's North Ireland, so, you know, I guess there's some northern location <laughs> 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 just <laughs> on the wrong uh, continent. But... Uh, yeah, not a whole lot of us. Somebody's, somebody in our family said it used to be canny and we dropped the O so we could get jobs. Yeah, you know, it's the Irish. canny sounds kind of especially day. Irish. Yes, yes.
0: Um, So that's a big step, I th- I would take it, is changing your name. Um, Can you kind of just talk about, you know, the choices and paths and, you know, challenges that lead up to that? Because, I mean, obviously changing your name is, you know, it's well it's, it has a lot of symbolism to it and here you're not only just changing your name you're picking you know your mother's mm-hmm. name yeah, um, which is then tied to where you currently live and yep. it has all this connection and so I mean if you could kind of just unpack that you know there's a lot there
1: well you know I've definitely <laughs> not been looking forward to the conversation with my dad where it's like hey I dropped your name yeah, like screw you uh <sighs> But, like, I haven't talked to my dad consistently for years and years and years. Like, we've had a very strained relationship. There's, you know, uh, there's a lot of tension there. Um, If you ever listen to this, Dad, I'm sorry it's shitty, but I guess that's just how some families are. Um, And yeah so there's there's that awkwardness like my mom even was kind of like like she i think she kind of probably felt shitty for my dad but she also is very understanding and uh, several years ago suggested i hyphenate my name and i'm like um excuse me like you hyphenate your name (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that sounds awful I'm not doing that um, So yeah I'm, But I'm really happy with the decision I feel like um, 27 is A big year for me 27 years of age um, Like this year Has just been very transformative And um, I feel like that would kind of be On par with The rest of my life Thus far
0: yeah, that, I, I think a lot of us kind of uh, go through the, you know, your 20s and you make all these decisions and you kind of are reconciling your identity and whatnot. And um, I, I like the way that this is manifested in, you know, like, no, this is my identity now. And I mean, as much as, you know... It, whatever there's the relationship with your father it's it's about you it's yes. like this is exactly. who i have decided i am or exactly. decided who i am and i now am reconciling
1: that actually i, I completely forgot um the s- short story of how i came to this conclusion of wanting to change my name was actually about a year ago uh on the way back to the debt show back to simpson to do a canoe trip yeah so it was a uh culture and language immersion canoe trip that lasted from beginning to end travel dates and everything about 2 weeks um and well maybe yeah maybe closer to 10 days anyways uh i was getting a ride from some fellow decho folks and i was in the back of the car and it was hot and i was just like leaning against the car door and i kind of fell asleep like you know, half asleep, and I, like, jolted awake, and I was like, I'm changing my name to Hardesty, and I felt like it was just maybe my subconscious being like, you're going on this big trip, and it was life-changing, it was beautiful, I cried so much, Um, I had just left my boyfriend of three years, um, and, like, I wanted to be with him forever, and it turned out he was, you know... Um, just another shitty white boy at the end of the day (laughs) and, uh, and getting to go on this trip afterwards, um, was just so healing and, um, grounding. Um, it, it's indescribable really, but it started with, yeah, that sweaty car ride with, uh, Mila and who else? Tamba? I think your brother Tumba
0: was there. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean especially here in the north where like I I have plenty of indigenous friends who have like a you know a white parent and then they got their father's name and they'll mm-hmm. introduce themselves as like, "Oh, I'm a Johnson, but I'm actually a Mantla. Yes. You know, like they have that <laughs> to like place themselves yes. because it's it's such a reality up here is mm-hmm. that like a name is so placeable of like, oh, not only are you, like, I know your cousins and you're from this region, like, you know, they have, you can trace it very, which is an interesting thing, you know, For I find for women who especially marry and then lose that name in this place where, like, identity and connection to the land and your culture is so attached to names Well,
1: until recently, you would lose your status Yeah, as well. Like, my mom always, my mom was proposed to twice. Yeah. By two white men, mm. and she says like she just didn't feel like it, so she said no. Uh, one was you know the supposed love of her life, and then the other was my father. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and both times she said no, and I asked her like why? Uh, why didn't you? And she's just like oh like I just didn't you know feel like it, but I feel like it was because of that looming threat of losing your status until like the 80s i didn't come along to like 92 so these proposals uh, were probably at a time when she would have lost her status and you know what little benefit you get from that um being an indigenous person so
0: yeah and there's well there's still this like absurdity in like Considering who to marry and then whether your children get status in this absurd colonial blood quantum through Mm -hmm. the Indian Act, that is still a real concern for Indigenous people. It's it's very
1: scary. It's
0: so ridiculous to even like (laughs) have to factor that into your decision making of who to love because there's this overarching
1: (laughs) framework, you know. And then for
0: a woman, you know, I I don't know when that law was removed, but like you know, as you were saying, marrying any white person was a loss of status, which is just
1: until insane. the 80s. And like women, I, I don't think uh, indigenous women got the right to vote until like the 70s, I want to say. Mm. I don't know. Maybe my dates are way off. Yeah, I think but there I was feel 60s like in it, but in this is all I
0: mean, this like... But it's, it's an insanity that still is relevant when you're talking about your mother and talking mm. about your name and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the decision she had to make. Which is, it's now interesting seeing you know you're the next generation having to make similar decisions of like do i change my name where does this fit into my identity and like within this you know being in the north and then this overarching kind of system
1: yeah and it's bizarre that she got like she made the decision to give me my father's name when i was born um Because she raised me to be so proud of, um, you know, my grandma and, like, my Denny side in general. And then just to give me my white father's name, she's like, oh, well, there's barely any cannies. There's too many damn harnesses running around. (laughs) But, yeah, like now, you know, years later, it doesn't really make any sense to me um, to keep it. So I will not...
0: Yeah, I, I, I think you've come to this, I don't know, based on what you're saying, come to this decision from a place of, you know, exploration and kind of realization. Um, and perhaps you could kind of just talk about that a little more. I It's something I find, I, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's such a problem I don't have to deal with, you know, just, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a white male, but, you know, having this, like, I, you know, being indigenous and being in the North, which is, is an identity that is simultaneously so strong and like important to like placing yourself here. But is also an identity that has been continually threatened and, you know, faced multiple barriers. And then having, you know, your your white father and this like, you know, having these two competing I don't know if that's the word, two different identities and how you've kind of how that has gone through, you know, your upbringing. And then I think you start to r- really reconcile it as you become an adult and mm-hmm. think, like, how would I raise my children? Where yeah. do I want to be in the yeah. future? Um, that was a lot of me just spewing nonsense. But if no, you could kind of un- talk about that. It's I, not
1: nonsense at yeah. all. It is um, it is very, well, I mean, some of it's nonsense. Like, it's convoluted, right? Like, it's, um, I remember, you know, being very young still and my dad saying things like like uh, I can't. think I think I said something about being Dene and he's like well you're actually more white than Dene because there's like some white mixed in on your mom's side through your grandfather so like you're actually more white than indigenous and I was just like nobody has ever mistaken me for a white person in my life maybe, like, one idiot in high school, but, like, they don't count, and, um, but I am very racially ambiguous, and I think that's been kind of difficult to come to terms with at times, the whole, uh, you know, lateral violence, um, and, uh, pitting pitting us against each indigenous people against each other, uh, because of things like blood quantum and because uh, of,
0: can you explain, I, I haven't heard that term lateral violence. That's like lateral what, is vi- what you were saying.
1: People- yeah. La- well, lateral violence, it's, uh, it's, it's violence or, um, you know, bad shit within a community. Yeah. So you hear, you'll hear it for, um, indigenous folks for, uh, black folks of just like, this infighting and i mean like really it's just north americans fucking over the poor consistently um and we happen to be two of those groups that you know um um are profiled and stuck into um prisons and like say, I don't really know much about Canadian prisons. I know that American ones um, are very much revolved around slavery. Like it hasn't gone anywhere. There's cheap labor um, from prison and uh, you know, black folks and indigenous folks get thrown in there way more than they should. Um, my mom was actually in the legal department. She was like a core worker and then she was a probation officer. Um, And I know that's one of the things that really disturbed her was that, you know, somebody would get a DUI and if they were rich and white, they'd get a slap on the wrist. And if they were indigenous, they were thrown in jail and had all these charges. Because, you know, once you do something like get a DUI or like drive drunk, there's like a dozen different infractions usually like ran through a stop sign, drove under the influence, blah, 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 like all these different things um sorry i can't remember what we were talking about i went off on a rant <laughs> no no it it's about, a, you about can rant system.
0: about <laughs> the it was about the was criminal about the justice system right being. lateral violence
1: <laughs> lateral violence so like uh you know like 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 fights on the res like that that type of thing um are what, what what street is that uh 54th fourth, fifty, no no, it would be like 51st. It's the street that, like, everybody's talking about with, like, the Sobering Center. Um,
0: yeah, I can't remember. And the Day
1: Shelter. Anyways, people are talking about it in and Yellowknife, and it's like, eh, what a dangerous street, blah, blah, blah. And, I, you know, maybe it's my lived experience. Um, I don't really get bothered there at all. Maybe it's because, you know, I look indigenous enough. Um, and that that is definitely part of... Um, the issue, but anyways, lateral violence, that street is a great example of a bunch of marginalized folks that are going through unbelievable trauma, um, stuck onto a space together and there's a lot of pain and it usually comes out and, you know, gets inflicted on others at some point. There's fights, there's break-ins, there's, um, you know, just shit getting broken in general. Um, and people just talk about it like, oh, those rowdy folks, like, that are just, like, drinking all day, having a grand old time. Like, just the other day, there was somebody that was, the two people, actually, two white guys that were, you know, talking about a job that they had to take on that street. And how, like, oh, there's people, like, throwing a frisbee across the street, like, you know, over cars and stuff and blah, blah, blah. Like you know, like there's some fucking frat boys and it's like, no, that's not, maybe that's what you see. Maybe you see people like smiling and laughing. They're not having a good time in general. Um, they're homeless a lot of the times. Um, it's just, it's just not a good time. So, uh, I guess that's what I was going on about for the lateral violence bit.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's this kind of uh dehumanization to the speaking about people yes. who are vulnerable on the street mm-hmm. as if they're just like troublemakers rabble rousing and this kind of like viewing them solely as a problem i yeah. i said that this is like one of my favorite rants is that like the first step to yellow knife like healing it's you know vulnerable population is just like stopping to talk to these people and stop
1: yeah, all, and any I, of
0: the coverage that is kind of like, those people, yeah, it's like what and, do you mean, that's a person, you know? Yeah,
1: and I do it all the time, and I think that's why I don't feel afraid when I walk down the street, is because I'm thinking of them as people, and people that are hurting. So, you know, I'm a, I, I consider myself a very uh, compassionate, empathetic person, and like, actually, one of those people is my auntie. Yeah. You know, my mother's sister. Um, and I think it's that much easier to have that connection. Um, it's it's much easier to take a step back and be like, this is not uh, any one person's fault. This is not us against them. It is you and I against the problem. Like, it has to be that. Or it won't work. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just, I, uh, I get catcalled a lot on that street, (laughs) but I'm like, eh, you know what? Like whatever. Um, (laughs) but, but when it comes to like, you know, giving people a fucking smoke, um, or change or whatever, um, it's not a big deal. It's, you know, it's just a person. Um, and it just, blows my mind that more people don't get that
0: yeah did you um patrick who uh scott who owns the fat fox he just made like a, no i'm sorry that's the fat fox the <laughs> birchwood <Bertrand> cafe <laughs> i um, miss the fat fox like, yeah, me, it me too much. me too he just gave this like great presentation to city council about like downtown business owners and people need to like step up to start healing our community and all of this like anti-sobering shelter talk has just been like such nimbyism like yeah you know, grow up people like yeah, this is no. what it takes to live in a community or even There's the fact really that we game. don't
1: have a wet center yeah exactly. when it's been proven um to be really fucking good for people you know kind of like giving out clean needles or whatever
0: um yeah, i don't know like,
1: when i started my social work program he- here in yellow uh, what is that almost four years ago didn't last long um but that one of the earliest social work principles um that they talked about in like you know like social work 101 or whatever the fuck it was um was like deserving versus uh undeserving poor yeah so like you know if somebody's trying or you know like they're applying for jobs or if they're clean then they're deserving of um of of support and and money and and food and you know if they're uh if they're rough or if like they haven't accepted God or whatever then they're not deserving exactly. of any support or money. Um and I see that in people's attitudes all the time. Yeah. Uh and it's it's just so alienating. You see this pattern in the,
0: the states where there's all these people who are like we want In order to get food stamps, you have to pass drug tests as if, like, addicts don't deserve food. Yeah. It's just such an insane thing.
1: I don't understand. And
0: it's... (sighs) Yeah. And it's just... Like, Harm Reduction 101, the beautiful thing about it is, like, you do some policy analysis and then you get, like, oh, this works. Like, the evidence shows it works. Like, you know, it's almost, like, it's objective. It's like, we're not... Are you deserving enough? No, it's like, whatever reduces harm, good. It's working, do it. But the
1: states are still so... Uh, Christian as well and it like that's what I thought of instantly when I was reading about you know earliest social workers is they were often um, uh, affiliated with the church because the church gets money and they would dole it out or whatever Um, and that's still kind of the deal in the states.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't even think you have to limit that to the states. We, I mean, the North is still very Catholic, very Anglican. Yeah, you know? yeah. I
1: guess, I guess there's, okay. I guess maybe because there's more, like, I feel like there's quite a variety in such a small place that maybe when I think of the states as a whole, I'm thinking about, um, say, like, their healthcare system as well. Like, ours could use some work, but it's, exponentially greater yeah. um, and I, I honestly that's the biggest one is the healthcare system um, which is why I use the states as an example but yeah, but yeah no what... for, for sure like uh, you know people saying like oh like this person is not uh, worthy of my acceptance or you know even tolerance if they're not up to my standards of living and like you know people say like oh i'm not i'm not going to give them money cuz they're just going to go use it to buy booze and it's like have you ever been homeless and detoxing from alcohol and not had friends to drop you off fucking soup and like Gatorade you know not having a cozy place like you're a fucking alcoholic, Jim. Like, what the hell are you talking about? You're not going to give them money to go buy booze. You just <laughs> bought around for the boys at the fucking pub. One of them had to be hauled out at the end of the night. You know, they could barely stand. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, none of it. Even people that. I've, you know, I've heard people say this, like, oh, I'm not going to give them money. And then it comes out that, like, they're fucking alcoholics. And they're like, oh, no, you know, like, I don't really drink, but, like, when I do. And it's like. <sighs> like what's the difference really there is no fucking difference marginalization that's it exactly they're brown like that's that's the only difference um and ugh, people are just so exhausting <laughs> they really are
0: amen um perhaps just bringing this back to you i i kind of like to unpack there that um your father saying like well you're actually more white yes um i think this is a it's a it's a problem that i think problem uh it's something a lot of my indigenous friends and a lot of indigenous people are going through in that it's like and it it seems to happen more so with being indigenous than it does other cultures like if you're a half jewish i I don't i hate that language half like Yeah. yeah your culture it's like You can decide to be Jewish and no one bats an eye, you know?
1: It's because Uh, of the blood quantum. And and I, yeah, exactly. It's because of the, um, um, the Indian Act, which is like the most racist, dehumanizing piece of, um, of policy or like what, it's really shitty. Uh, I can't believe it was written and it's still in effect. (laughs) It's
0: still in force.
1: I don't. Like, even that, the Indian act, you know? Like, I say Indian all the time because I think it's hilarious. Like, actually, I had a uh, couple uh, Asian customers. I don't know what kind of Asian, but, anyways, they were at the pub um, and I was handing them their bill. And one of them looks to me and he says, Are you from India? Yeah. And I just started laughing and was like, No. No. Like, what? And the, and his friend, the, this other Asian guy was also laughing and was like, man. And I was like, yeah, I'm the other kind of Indian, <laughs> <laughs> not the Asian Indian. Like I was probably Asian, you know, like several lifetimes ago, like <laughs> thousands of years ago before immigrating <laughs> by boat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um. Sorry, what was your original question? <laughs> no, I. It I, was, that was a
0: good little anecdote. I like that. Um. No, I bringing guess it,
1: bringing it back to me. Yeah I, yeah, I think
0: it's like by telling someone that, like, oh, you're not indigenous enough. It's like, yeah. oh, you're only indigenous when we want you to be. It's yeah. like you take the negative, and then you 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 see this with like people who indigenous people of you know have a white parent or mm-hmm. are mixed or, you mm-hmm. know, perhaps are white appearing like being denied their, you know, the right yeah. to own their culture. Yeah. And and then it gets tied to like this race blood quantum thing, yeah. which is not what culture is. Like culture no. is, and especially you living here and, you know, <laughs> this is your
1: fault. Old... And I do catch myself. I'm guilty of this too. Like we were talking about lateral violence. Um, you know, there are times that I've looked, Like, I've looked at a visible minority, and some part of my brain would make an assumption or be on edge, maybe, like, a little less trusting. Um, And it's horrifying. (laughs) It's fucking horrifying to think, like, these are thoughts that pop in my head. Um, Where do they come from? Why? But on top of that, like... Like, lateral violence it doesn't have to be you know like fisticuffs it takes a lot of different um, uh, forms and another one would you know be the whole like comparing blood and like um, complexion like uh, i am also guilty of seeing you know ar- an article say like oh this young woman did all these cool things um this indigenous woman and it's like uh that looks like a white girl I'm sorry but like she you know probably has had things easier or whatever and you know maybe that's just something I tell myself because I feel shitty that I haven't done this cool thing uh, and had an article written about me and it also makes me think like maybe other people have had thoughts about me because I'm I, like you know, fairly, uh, light-skinned, and it's just this whole rigmarole of, like, just infighting, and for no reason, you know, um, I think there's definitely, like, (sighs) some resentment of that, of, like, being treated different because I don't look white. So seeing the successful person that looks white, or you know, not even necessarily successful, but like has you know done this cool thing, for example, um, those are the types of wheels that start turning in my head, um, and it's it's sick. It's it really is a sickness. Like the systems and institutions put into place to make this the whole thing like a competition um you know and scrambling for funding to do something that you should have like the right to do and um that you should be able to do for free you know things like uh cultural excursions out on the land uh and the water and all of that like you're constantly trying to scrape from these pots of money and it's like why isn't this just like a federal thing where like there's just money there and you just take it when you need it instead of all of this paperwork and you know like it's White people are all about paper? Well,
0: well there is this fund sitting there. It's, there's billions and billions of dollars held in trust I know. And that we belongs have, to indigenous people. And we and like
1: we fucking carry the country, you know, with our it's just like
0: administered through the Indian Act.
1: Exactly. It's just oh my goodness. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And like a, a lot of the folks, and I think that's the other thing. Like, say if I see, I think there was like an up here thing, and there's probably somebody that'll listen to this. And they'll know me, and they'll be like, fuck you, Colleen. But there was an up here thing, and I think there was, like, models. Maybe it wasn't up here. I don't know. Anyways, models from the North. It was beautiful. A lot of them look white. And I was just like, I wish there were more dark-skinned people that were celebrated. Um, Like, you know, I've come to terms with, like, my initial shadiness my initial reaction but I think maybe that's another part of it where it's coming from is like I would like to see darker more like dark complexions um, when it comes to things like modeling because those are often the people that are discriminated against the worst Um, you know where you know, they will be call- people will say like, oh, like you look dirty or like, um, you know, you're just people act more afraid around you a lot of the time if you have darker skin. And I feel like maybe that's where that came from of like just wanting to see more variety and more people that maybe don't normally get a chance to be in the spotlight
0: yeah and this is the problem with the like utopian kind of liberal philosophy of treat everyone equally it's like in a dream world like skin color wouldn't matter but we don't live in that world Mm -hmm. so it does matter and it matters like even if the pure reasoning for wanting to see that is that like children of you know who are in vulnerable positions and have no role models need someone to look to like you know there's a lot of value in just the people who are in positions of power look like you you yeah or who are
1: modeling yeah
0: exactly and yeah so whatever you're choosing it's like there's value in that no one no kid likes to look at the you know whatever they're doing or whatever they want to do and say oh no one there looks like me i can't do that
1: yeah exactly
0: So, like, even if that's the argument alone, it's like, that has value. And this argument that, like, well, it just shouldn't matter. It's like, well, yeah, it shouldn't, but it does because racism exists. Yes.
1: And, I mean, maybe that's why there was mostly light-skinned models, because it was easier for them to be accepted, or maybe they had a white parent, so they're more likely to have, you know, those money and those inns. Uh, those opportunities present themselves, I don't know. It's yeah, well, pretty friggin' touchy. So, well, like, no, I that- try <laughs> not to delve too far into Especially, like, having a lot of Indigenous friends. Um, you know, it doesn't... I, I've been, like, pretty hesitant um, mm-hmm. to start that conversation.
0: It's it's a it's a tough one i mean like all these conversations are tough and i don't i don't think either of us are speaking as you know the absolute moral authority especially not um but there's there's this great chris rock bit about like you know the part of the reason like american black culture has like glorified violence is because like the the institution doesn't want to see like a successful black man and he has this rant about like you know suburban rich black people of which there are millions like mm, you know mm-hmm. who are raised you know not in a ghetto like yeah. don't feel self-conscious about that and yeah. don't own that identity yeah. and you see that with marginalized populations all the time i, I mean you, snotty Nose Res kids had this song like bougie natives and it's yeah. like there's this infighting to like and it's tough because that's a reality too it's like you don't want to it's someone shouldn't feel punished for like being part of a you know a marginalized group and being successful yes. and it's like you know there's plenty of kids of chiefs who are raised millionaires oh and yeah they're doing just fine you know and they don't and, have to
1: work and they got a nice house yeah
0: and like that's a realistic everybody wants thing. to marry them <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so <laughs> i it's like a complicated analysis there of like as much when a group goes through a lot of trauma and like deals with some shit like part of you know feeling part of the group is like oh you went through it too but then yeah. again, like if you didn't and you like are, you're, st- yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to think about that, but it's an interesting kind of, I think y- it can be an example of what you that term lateral violence is like when you're not even allowing a successful person in a marginalized no. group to become like, it's, own their success. So. It's so
1: alienating. Yeah. It's so complicated and convoluted. <laughs> I mean, like it really is simple, but. I think when, especially when people aren't thinking about the root causes of things, um, when maybe they're not acknowledging their emotions and where they're coming from and asking themselves like, why do I feel this way or why do I have this opinion, Um, then it can get real messy and real heated. Real fast.
0: Well, and it's a valid opinion to be like, listen, I went through some shit. Like, you know, I was born a res kid and I had to fight for everything I owned and Mm -hmm. you didn't. So like, don't talk down to me. You know, that's a valid opinion. And
1: I mean, like, and that's the thing too. Maybe I feel a bit, um, a bit self-conscious because I did grow up fairly privileged. You know, we were, um, very middle class. We had a big house. We had, um, like a medium house, I guess. Um, but like, you know, I was comfortable. Um, I did not grow up in poverty like my mom and dad, uh, cause my dad grew up very poor as well. Um, and I think they did a, like their darndest to make sure that I didn't grow up like them. Um, but like a lot of my friends, a lot of our, our town Fort Simpson, um, is where I'm originally from. My mom's from, from G. Marie, um, so I'm technically part of the band, but I was raised, uh, in Simpson. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of rough spots. Like we don't have reservations here in the yeah. North. Um, it's, I, I like to joke that it's just one big reservation, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it's, and it's, and it's not, uh, I feel like a lot of, at least I feel, um, that I was sheltered from a lot as a kid, too. Um, you know, there was there was always kind of insinuations or like I could see how, you know, I wasn't represented, say, in all the cartoons that I watched, or um I could hear how certain people would talk about about natives. Um, I would hear some of the infighting I would hear. You know you you don't miss those things as a kid kids aren't stupid but it wasn't so much in my face of like you're a dirty Indian you're a fucking drunk blah 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 um, I'd hear that here and there but it wasn't it wasn't directed at me it wasn't from um, you know random people on the street like chucking stuff at you and like yelling expletives out of the car and you're you know at your mom Um it wasn't that and i feel like i feel like the north uh in the north we we're very lucky in a lot of ways like yes we're isolated and have a higher suicide rate because of it but it's also like there's a lot less of us too um and i don't know maybe there's like less races just because there's less people total yeah. i i wouldn't know about like you know like ratios or percentages statistical values but even the even the fact that say like my grandma didn't go to residential school um is because uh they took off in the bush yeah so my grandma Ran whenever they indian agent yeah, came around <laughs> yeah so my grandma uh and her family they they just like went to the bush and just stayed there yeah. until i guess like the mounties left yeah. so she didn't go to school she didn't learn to read or write she would speak a few words of English. Uh, she passed like five years ago now. Um, uh, but yeah, no, she avoided all of that. And I was thinking, I was reading, um, seven fallen feathers by this, uh, this indigenous journalist, um, from Northern Ontario, but was in Toronto. Anyways, she wrote this book and, uh, and they were talking... You know, she was talking about uh, Northern Ontario and these dis- different reservations. Yeah. And as I was reading this book, I was asking my mom, like... That's when I first asked her. I was like, did... Grandma, did a mom go to... S- residential? Like, she didn't go to school. Like, why didn't she go to school? Yeah. Uh, and that's when she explained to me. And as I was reading this book, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, all these... Areas in the South, especially Southeast uh, Canada... You know, there's probably so many Mounties down there that you couldn't escape them. You, you would get rounded up and you'd have to stay on the reservation, you know, um, and, and, you know, be at the whim of these white people with guns. Whereas up here, maybe there was more opportunity to run away because there just weren't enough resources or it wasn't, um, you know, colonized quite enough. I, I don't know. I don't know a lot of these details. Yeah, no, I think but it's that's interesting. Yeah, it,
0: it's absolutely true, but it's also interesting in that it's, it really just means colonialism comes a little later to the North and it's more ongoing. Like everything. New, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're just behind the top. No, but I think your point of, I, I, I'd like to believe that the North, in many ways, is a leading example of reconciliation. Like,
1: yeah, because you kind of have to, right? Exactly. Like, Like,
0: like, imagine living in Simpson and, well, I mean, I'm sure it exists, but we could name the 10 people who are just, like, blatantly racist. It's like, you're living in an indigenous community. Yeah, like,
1: yeah. well, I, a lot of it, this is, we're um, talking about, you know, institution, um, I feel like, okay, you're talking about, you know, the 10 racist people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> grow for me growing up like i was saying i was sheltered being in the north the however uh all of the institutions were run by white people right so rcmp uh you got your health center with nurses and doctors uh all your teachers which is you know a kid were my main concern um trying to think of what am i missing here Firefighters. I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Um. Oh, no, you're, you're
0: you're the entire almost the majority of the government infrastructure. Yes, especially um, any federal services. All are, of the authority of
1: figures. They were always white. Uh, They're always from fucking Ontario. And like, <laughs> where? I'm sorry if you're where are no, you from. I'm from DC. Okay, I, I, yeah.
0: I'll shit talk Ontarians oh all day. Oh
1: my god. Like, I know some lovely people from Ontario. I don't know a lot of them. <laughs> Not a lot, not a lot of lovely people, and like, I don't know. A lot of it was teachers that were fresh out of school, and they're like, "Oh fuck yeah, I'm gonna pay off all my student loans in one go," and uh, and they they would make a lot of money, and there's not a lot of places to spend it, so it was you know, uh, decent for that. But they don't teach you about the realities of the North.
0: Well, how could they, you know, if they In don't school. know shit? <laughs> they
1: don't teach you about the realities of, um, you know, things like the Indian Act and all of those repercussions, uh, residential schools and all of those repercussions. It makes their job much more difficult than they originally signed, think they signed up for, I think, um, because there's less resources. There's more... Um, there's more large issues in your face of people, you know, kids uh, having parents that, you know, maybe are addicts that are addicted to some substance or another that, you know, has been something they've been using to process trauma. Uh, not seen as a great idea, but, you know, it's just the route some people take. Um, so, you know, there'd be a lot of... Um, People like a lot of kids missing school or would be hungry or have like severe behavioral issues and are like throwing shit at you, um, or like you know, breaking down in a tantrum and they're like nine, and it's like, guys, like this is behavior back for like preschool. Like, this isn't, yeah. it's very tough to be a teacher, and like I commend you know them for not leaving halfway through the year, there definitely has been some of that. Um, but yeah, like growing up, especially at a place like Simpson, it's 1,200 people on the Devil's Island, is what, you know, the locals call it, uh, in the middle of nowhere. And it's very isolated. It's very expensive to leave and to get there. And there's no malls and there's no Starbucks <laughs> and there's no like real roads even it's just you know a bunch of dirt and rocks and and you know these white folks from ontario these you know sometimes like very um lovely yeah, I'm
0: sure, i assume well-meaning, meaning, most of them are well intentioned they're hoping to be teachers and,
1: yeah um would come up and you know they'd make it like a year or two and then they're gone again and i feel like I feel like a lot of the North people are like, eh, there's no sense of community, and it's like, yeah, because you white people keep leaving, like just f- figure it out or like send your like hippie friends this way that don't care about <laughs> all of those comforts of the South. Um, but yeah, teachers, and you were talking about like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the the 10 racist people back home. Uh, my dad was telling me this hilarious story of this young uh, RCMP officer that came to Simpson. And he's like, this is my town now. Yeah. I'm going to clean it up. Blah, blah, blah. And then he went to a volunteer firefighter meeting. And he uh, started going on about... Um, it was like a a mom and daughter and he was saying like they were both hot and like would totally do both of them. He said that right in front of like head volunteer fire department chief. I don't know. Maybe he was the chief. Anyways, he was very high up, very respected uh, part of the community and that guy totally like just said he would nail his wife and daughter Uh, it was bad it was bad nobody liked that guy so they banished him to wrigley (laughs) (laughs) which is even smaller than simpson (laughs) and more isolated (laughs) beautiful beautiful community um but yeah i just thought that was hilarious that yeah when you're not well-intentioned usually it people don't like keeping you around quick (laughs) It does. And
0: even if you are well-intentioned, it's like, how long do we have to go through the process of, like, people coming to the North to, you know, fix problems uh, and then leaving after two years? Like, how many fucking RCMP officers do we need who I think they're going to come clean up? It's like, get out well, here. You well, know? and I
1: mean, like, they do they do revolving get, door. They do get moved, I think, too. Like, That's, I think yes. the RCMP, like, makes them move every yeah. few years. Um, which is... I think partially to make sure that you don't become too connected to the community members so that you don't
0: yeah it's a similar policy reason like you as an rcmp officer don't get stationed in like the town you grew up in yes avoiding i i question that entire policy being applicable to the north where it's like there's a lot of cultural knowledge that needs to be learned
1: (laughs) and like when you come across an rcmp officer um it's happened maybe once or twice back home where like they genuinely love the community and the people in it. And, like, <laughs> yeah. they play hockey with you. And, like, and, yeah, they would end up, you know, um, going easy on you in some form or another. But, like, you know, I don't think it was anything serious. It was, like, like, if you, if they know that you, like, a community has like, a... a traffic violation or like you know something minor where like nobody is gonna get hurt no they would let shit go i don't know no it's it's like
0: it's 100 percent necessary in rcmp policing in communities to let shit go because our communities are so over pleased here and that you know where everyone is and you know the terms of their conditions off by heart so yes. you know when they're breaching as soon as they're out of their house drunk. And we just charge breaches over and over. Yeah. Whereas if you're in Winnipeg, it's like you're just anonymous to the RCMP officer and he doesn't know that you're currently on condition and you're breaching. I think Whereas, you're more like, likely to get like mm-hmm. pulled
1: and it's, over in Winnipeg. Or <laughs> <laughs> like, pulled aside, like, identification, please.
0: Yeah, but that just doesn't have to happen if you're a cop and Cincinnati, because you know everyone by name, yes. like, you know? Yeah. So they, it, there's this, like... Choice by RCMP officers who've been here long enough to be like, "Oh, this person's on a no-alcohol condition and stupid condition in the first place. They're drunk. I'm not going to charge them. I'm going to take them back yeah.
1: home tonight.
0: because that's just a reasonable decision to make." You yeah. Know, how many breaches do we need to charge a person with?
1: And whether that's because they're too lazy enough to do the paperwork or not, like. Yeah, <laughs> <that's true>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, they. Yeah. It's... Anyways, it's not an easy job. But uh rabble rabble um okay <laughs> maybe for, uh b- back to you i, I kind of like making the the show not me ranting or us ranting yeah, about yeah, things that's fair. I'd, I'd, I'd like it to be more of a in whatever we can talk about whatever we're doing good um maybe if you could just kind of we can switch topics here uh, okay. the, the other things on my list oh, i yeah. wanted to talk about yeah. was uh burlesque yes um i i think this kind of doesn't tie into what we've been talking about but i i find this really interesting as i'm getting to know you colleen is like you have this amazing demanding stage presence Thank which you. is like uh unexpected and i even remember uh, in the parker's and pesky show lots of people being like wow i did not know colleen <laughs> could do that like just owning it um and so I they don't
1: see me at karaoke. Just kill it. Once Twist closed, like the karaoke game definitely took a head dive <laughs> in the city. That was uh, so that's where I would do most of my performing just like letting off some steam on a Friday night singing songs. I would go there by myself and then just hey. like sing duets just with random it. people that asked me to. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, burlesque, I don't know if I would call myself a burlesque performer, I guess, yeah, yeah, I'd call myself a burlesque performer. Uh, it was just that last show, um, of, of Soulful Bodies put on by Parkas and Pasties that was my first real burlesque number. Cause I opened for Queerlesque in 2016, um... But I didn't do a whole lot. Like, I sang a song. Like, I kind of moved a little bit. I had a very, like, fancy, expensive costume. But, like, I wasn't... um, Experienced whatsoever. And I wasn't really given a lot of direction in that production. Um, And I think as, you know, somebody that sings but doesn't really dance. Somebody that's acted but not really done any burlesque stuff, eh, it was kind of a mess starting for me, um, and I certainly don't put as much work towards uh, performing in general as I used to, and as much as I'd like to. But the whole MC thing, yeah, that started last August with Queer Less 2018, uh, and then Soulful Bodies, and then I emceed Folk uh, at the Beer Gardens on Sunday. Yeah, which I'm is, I'm, I'm
0: wanting you to emcee everything now. I think you should be our hard. new it's go-to emcee.
1: very hard. I don't know if I, <laughs> I would do an outdoor...
0: I've failed many MC gigs.
1: ...thing again, because <laughs> you can't really engage the audience, and maybe it was just because it was Sunday, I don't know, but like, and you're so far away from everybody, right? It's like oh, yeah. a lot of... Um, hosting is feeding off of people's energy Um, (laughs) like a vampire I didn't mean for it to sound that insidious Um, but it, it Comes from that back and forth, right? Of of the responsiveness, um, and there wasn't a whole lot of that at folk. Well, I and think, the be- because and- of the space and because I don't know. Just...
0: Well, half the beer gardens that folk aren't paying attention to the stage. Exactly, anyways. they're just like, continuing their conversation. Nobody
1: cares. Like, it's, yeah, and it's not. It's really not pertinent either. Um, yeah, exactly. You're just th-
0: filling time between bands. Like,
1: there's like there's the app. Um, <laughs> there's bios. Like, if people want to read them. Um, so that I don't know if I would do again, but burlesque emceeing is a completely different beast. Uh, it is so much fucking fun. It was actually our friend Kat that said, "I've never seen you more yourself."
0: Oh uh, yeah, I I'd than, agree with that.
1: Then when you emceed uh, queerlesque, this was shortly after, uh, so last fall I think they said this, and, um, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, I think you encapsulated." what my feelings were about it because there was like a completely like it was it was me it was just exaggerated and it came out hard like it came out violently and and i just i felt like uh that was also kind of part of my rebirth like last july august was um was a big time for me i think in personal growth and it was That canoe trip and then coming back and going right into um, a show, I think was just so vital uh, for me at that time. And yeah, no, um, MCing. oh man, like our burlesque audiences in Yellowknife and, you know, most places. Um, are already, like, screaming their face off. So, like, it's yeah. not hard to entertain them. Um, especially, you know, if they're drinking, like, they'll laugh at your dumb jokes. And, um, and like, if you're cute and dressed nice, like, they usually don't care when you fuck up either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I guess, I, I don't know. I've uh, lived in Yelenae for quite a few years, I think. I know quite a few people people especially uh audience members you know cast members um and I think that really lends itself as well as um what people remind me of is like they already love you just go out and do your thing have fun um and that makes it so much easier like I love improv I love um you know making inappropriate jokes inappropriate i guess for like everyday life um yeah it was yeah scene is beautiful because there's a lot also a lot less rehearsal
0: (laughs) Amen. meant well i'm glad that uh cat said that because that like this was you being peak colleen yeah the, I, like i don't even know you that well and i kind of like got that like oh colleen's like hit her stride and and not like as an mc like as a person like you know there's this yeah confidence and this like i own this like exuding from the performance or the stage that's like oh wow yeah which is which is great i i, I think that actually does kind of tie into like you changing your name and like owning yes. your identity mm-hmm. and being like no this is who i am and i'm like shameless about it almost yeah burlesque is perfect for that unapologetic yeah unapologetic is yes what burlesque i think to me is all about is like people just like no this is what i want to do fuck you Mm -hmm. there's a radical ownership of self um yeah and and i guess maybe could you i'm just going through our list here of things i kind of wanted to touch on um kind of on this of your like rebirth is the the wording you use but of this like kind of I I think a lot of us go through this and you know <laughs> I guess we're always growing but like you reach a point where you're like adulthood I'm adulting now yes this is who I am and who I want to be um could you maybe just talk about like some of the obstacles and hurdles you overcome and like what where those kind of decisions or those paths led that led to here Cause to me there's always some like key ones and you know like you decide to do this instead of this you just you know you decide to change your name you yeah, decide yeah. to live in Yellowknife. you mm-hmm. decide to you know so i know that's a lot i, I like asked like, like general some, broad so questions like some
1: obstacles thus far
0: yeah yeah sure <laughs> I, I i don't know if i'm a bad interviewer and in that i just throw whatever at the wall and i'm like okay what what, what do you want to talk whatever about? whatever sticks
1: yeah i i i'm bad for that like, i don't ask pointed a, questions i'll like start answering a, i'm like oh dear what am i answering where
0: no that's fine though that? like that's it's ra- <laughs> i don't mind rambling conversation on the podcast i okay. think that's okay. very much what it's about the okay. whole point is actually to just kind of explore this long-form conversation thing i think the reason i do this podcast is because we would never sit down casually and have a one-on-one hour-long conversation which is unfortunate i wish that there was kind of a setting in which that would happen but this is just like
1: a very introvert move
0: yeah i create a (laughs) podcast purely to talk to people and curate a space where it's socially acceptable
1: and i can i can identify with that i can definitely identify with that um i guess that would be like one of the obstacles growing up and only child in the middle of nowhere yeah. with like no kids nearby. And like, even if they were, my mother would not let me leave the house because I'd be eaten by a bear. And oh, like, wow. like, it's ridiculous. Um, but like also not cause we'd have black bears go through our yard all the time. Um, And she's terrified of them Which is hilarious to me But anyways um, Yeah that's very yeah. funny being from Simpsons Right and like <laughs> I don't know Well I mean like if uh, I think a healthy uh, Fear of bears Is appropriate Because like they can fuck you up pretty H- good
0: A healthy fear of bears is appropriate Yeah
1: so especially when they like In G. Marie in G- especially uh, It's so small Right? And yeah. like they could just sneak up on you. That's why there's <laughs> always dogs tied up outside. It's like we need bear alarms. Um, maybe we should have tripwire instead. Maybe the SPCA would be not so mad at us if we <laughs> did that. Anyways. Um, but yeah, I feel like uh, a lot of my social hangups probably come from that of like not having siblings, not having um, access to social situations uh, very easily so like I don't know they always say only children are like super weird but more creative so there's that well, and that ties
0: into performing. This performing accomplishes creativity and like finding an outlet for this.
1: Yes, you know. and getting to be like, look at me, I'm awesome. I'm gonna do a thing, and uh, I'll talk to you for like two minutes after the show, and then I'm gone. <laughs> like I'm out of there as fast. Like, like I can't stand schmoozing. I can't stand small talk. I love the compliments. I will eat them for breakfast. But then after a certain point, I'm like, okay, hey, I'm done. Yeah. Write me a letter. <laughs> And I will read it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no. And for other obstacles, I would say this has been like a kind of a reoccurring conversation that I've been having with um, friends of mine, especially since a lot of them are younger than me for the first time in my life. Um, Not by much, but, you know, a, a few years makes a big difference sometimes in like life experience and like um you know coming to certain conclusions sometimes it doesn't sometimes you know
0: yeah some idiots just never grow up yeah or like
1: (laughs) or you know maybe end up sheltered or like kind of close themselves in so they don't experience a whole lot i don't know um but one thing i heard and i don't know i have not confirmed like sources or like how this whole thing works the brain is a complicated beast but i heard that you don't really have a fully formed adult brain until about the age of 25 and until until then there's like shit that's you know not quite developed the way it will be for the rest of your life uh after that age Mm -hmm. so i don't know if it's if it's true but yeah that i have been feeling that maybe it is in the last couple years where it's like Shit is starting to click. It's starting to make sense, and shit that I would hear from older peers, you know, a few years ago, um I'd be like, yeah, like whatever and now it's like, okay, I'm like I'm starting to get it, you know, um I think a big obstacle was chasing things, um, chasing like uh substance like with substance use you know kind of like chasing a party or chasing like you know this person that people would want to be around and the saddest part is it's already like that I don't necessarily want to be around them around people that are um, you know that all they do is party Yeah, because like they're just there's just no real connection there um And I don't talk, I don't talk to many people about this, um, specifically because it drives them away, but like I haven't, aside from a week of falling off the wagon, give or take, um, I've been sober, well, alcohol free, uh, since mid-January. And that's another thing that's kind of feeling like it's that rebirth is like, I stumbled a little bit, but like, I'm pretty sure this is permanent like this is going to last the rest of my life um and that's not like it's not like a really a day-to-day challenge like every once in a while i'll catch myself kind of in that loop of like i need a drink to have fun or i need a drink because these folks are in town and like we've always drank together yeah you know or um I don't know, like, I had a dream the other day that I had a drink, and I felt so shitty. I was just like, oh, no, what are you doing, you silly bitch? And then I woke up, and I was like, okay. It was a dream. Um, and my mom's been sober for 13 years, I want to say. Um, and, yeah, no, I've just, I've been f- seen, mostly through social media, that there are more and more... Um, young indigenous women specifically that are consciously deciding to not drink. Um, and you know what that means for them and their families. And like, it's just so much of a relief to be like, Oh my God, I haven't had a drink since, I don't know. When was that? June? Maybe that I fell off the wagon for a week ish. Um, aside from that, it's like I have the most thriving social life. Yeah. More so than I ever have, uh, right now. And I'm sober. Like, I'll, I'll, like, smoke weed, especially if people are drinking. I'll be like, oh, yeah, like, I'll, you know, partake in a social depressant. Um,. <laughs> <laughs> and be on, like, some kind of wavelength that isn't stone-cold sober. Um, and we'll have a great time. It just means that I'll eat more and I'll get, uh, you know, tired earlier. And <laughs> that's about it. Um, yeah, there's, yeah,
0: this is another one of my rants. There's just, like, a complete immaturity to this, like party culture we've developed of, like, hey, do you want to go out drinking? As if that's the activity. It is. And And it becomes, like, I drink a fraction of what I used to and I, I've ran into that like where I have old friends come and mm-hmm, visit mm-hmm. and they expect to like get drunk for seven days and I'm like I, I can't do seven that days. <laughs> like oh you my know goodness. I can have like a beer and then I'm like okay like you know we can't party like I'm, I'm that's not what I do anymore yeah and I, I think that's a big step in adulthood and more and more people are realizing it's just like going out drinking drinking is not an activity and to like not set up a social dynamic where it's completely fine for a person not to be drinking. It's just, like, it's an unhealthy cultural thing we've done. Like, if you mm-hmm. have... Yeah. if Like, if a person feels uncomfortable not drinking in a social setting, like, to me, that's a failure of the setting you've created. And
1: Absolutely. But you can't... With you two can't, people
0: drinking water on a boat right now, it's fine. You yeah. You know, like, you can do that. In
1: you can't really see that when it's been so deeply ingrained. Absolutely. Um, whether, you know, by yourself or... Or, or um, certain environments, and it is like it. It's almost shocking in a way because there'll be sometimes when I'll think of you know a younger version of myself, um, and maybe like have a thought that she would for a moment, and it's just so bizarre to think that yeah she is another person. I am yeah. not that. Person, I can't go backwards there's I I just can't there's certain truths that I've always been aware of but haven't really like fell to my bones like I do now if that makes any sense no
0: no that makes complete sense I think like the realization that we outgrow ourselves is it's a huge one and the realization that you know I the goal is to continue to grow is kind of I don't know to me what it's all about. Yeah.
1: And just like, like just taking a moment to think about things. Yeah. You know, (laughs)
0: bringing some intention to your life. You know, why, why is this occurring? You know?
1: Yeah. And And what are the causes
0: that are leading me to make this decision?
1: I just think it's so cool that it's happening earlier for a lot of people too. Um, like, like so many, um, Yeah, you know, generation Z, um, like don't even drink like we had a huge table of them. There's like fifteen of them. I think maybe three or four had an alcoholic beverage. Yeah. And of those three or four, like they had one or two drinks, I think. No, yeah, the there's stats that...
0: to prove this, like, around the world, like, the next, whatever, Xennials, is that what we're calling them? Well, Gen not... Z.
1: we'll say Gen Z. Um, <laughs> I don't
0: know, not so us millennials yeah, are so drinking there's... way less, Yeah, and it's just like, I'd love to see that kind of, like...
1: They stole, like, three pitchers of water, we're like, where, do our, where does our water keep going? Yeah. With the three pitchers, we lost them, they were all on their table, and... I mean, I was annoyed as hell because as a server, like, you get your money from selling liquor. So. <laughs> I was like, that wasn't my table either, so I had no right to be annoyed by it. Um, but yeah, it, and it is interesting working for a pub and not drinking as well.
0: Yeah, the pub's another one of those things. It's like such a key institution. Like, I, the Woodyard is very much my second home. Mm
1: -hmm. And I feel
0: uncomfortable there not having a beer. And also, like, I've been a bartender for years, so it's shitty to go to a bar and drink water. Like, that's the way the place makes money. So it's like,
1: what I do is I just tip. Yeah, I always give a, yeah, I give
0: a five dollar bill if I'm having a water it's like whatever
1: yeah yeah or even yeah like there's been times where say I've gone out with a group of friends yeah and like most people are drinking I'm sitting there all night you know I'll maybe get like virgin mojitos or if I'm doing water, I'll do water and then just give like I'll tip I'll tip uh I'll give them a tip for the bill I would have had. So say like back in the day, a hundred bucks, easy, easy. So I give them like, you know, like, 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 uh, 15, 20 bucks for a tip. And it's like, this isn't hurting me. Uh, I have way more money now because I'm not spending hundreds of dollars a week on alcohol and like, I can afford to give it back to the service industry sometimes. And that happens to me as well, where like, especially if they're service industry you'll get like a $30 tip on like you know a $60 tab and it's just like especially after like a shitty night just dealing with shitty people and you're just like oh oh that is so kind like that is so nice um but yeah no like I've um you know been working the pub part-time and uh I don't usually spend a whole lot of money on myself so I keep being like oh fuck like I'm poor but then I'll look at my bank account and be like I actually like I'm not doing that bad because I don't you know make it my second job to drink yeah exactly <laughs> I don't
0: it's not like
1: my... like I used to work two jobs all the time and I think most of that the money from the second job probably went to drinking
0: especially when you work in the service industry too it's just like it's a like culture of drinking after work and spending hundreds of dollars
1: oh yeah and like doing blow like yeah. all sorts of messy
0: just ways to throw your money away yeah yeah I, I love the idea of that like a whole generation of young indigenous women being like fuck it we're not gonna drink like you yeah know, I would l- i'd love the idea of that like ownership kind of coming naturally and
1: a lot of them are mothers yeah um some of them aren't there's been um more and more um like indigiqueer folks kind of speaking up and being like hey like i'm my like my gender is not black and white it is not man or woman um or it is both of those things or whatever uh, my culture is not working for me. I want yeah. I want this to change, or I want this to accommodate um, people. And actually, in the last... I want to say, like, last few months specifically, um, it's been popping in my head that I identify as Two-Spirit, and I never would have in the past. I felt like because my specific um region where i came from didn't really celebrate or didn't really acknowledge that um because of that i felt like it wasn't genuine i guess but two spirit specifically was coined at a conference in the 90s in uh, i want to say winnipeg somewhere in eastern canada where they had like this big like like gay natives conference essentially yeah. um where, <laughs> and that's the word that they decided on because there's a couple groups where the literal translation is approximately that to spirit um but yeah i think it's a beautiful way to express gender because there's a lot of times that i feel way more masculine or you know more of a top and like There's just being like a fairly spiritual um, person that also loves their culture and feels that indigenous identity in their bones and like cries when shit is not going right for us, which is often. Um, uh, It's... Yeah, it's just been popping up in my... And maybe, you know, I will, like, have an official, like, this is my identity, this is the word I use now. Um, I think it was actually one of my friends that just recently also acknowledged that. Um, because in a lot of parts of Denny culture, uh, it is very, like, men do this, women do this. And we never had... Like, I blame the church. Because I don't think we had that strict gender roles back in the day. I think that was all, like, white folks being obsessed with gender. Because even in our language, you don't say she or her. You don't say he or his. You say theirs. Yeah. There is no gendered language. Really, like We say, you know, like, boy and girl and stuff. But, like, when it comes to things like ownership, um, there is no specifiers when it comes to that. And... I don't think that is getting reflected back into what we're seeing today which is you know like only men can drum only uh, men can hunt Um, and whether it's said explicitly or insinuated whether or not people get upset with you for talking about it or going ahead and doing it is all up to the circumstance like the situation but yeah, it's. I was thinking about it last summer uh, and complaining about it with some friends that, like, the men get to do all the fun shit. <laughs> like, drumming and singing, like, music is... Hand games. Hand games. <laughs> Hunting, like, yeah. all the fucking, like, cutting shit up. That's all the cool sh- like, all the fun shit. And, um, I mean, like, there's obviously fun shit for women, too. It's just so frustrating when, like... In the white man's world, I could do whatever the fuck I want as a woman. Like, there's challenges there, too. But, like, um, I think there's more people fighting for women, say, like, in trades. Or, like, you know, women wear men's clothes all the time. nobody bats an eyelash. But if it's somewhere in our culture, you know, I do respect that there are certain ways to do things. It's just... It's just kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, There's just a lot of conflicting information, I feel. Um, And I think that's definitely where white folks have a leg up. They write shit down so that they remember. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there's just been a lot that's kind of muddled and a bit lost. um, Because it's like, where do I start for something like that? How do I even go about talking about um like drumming with well, somebody if they're if it's such a touchy subject, you know?
0: Absolutely. Well, and I think you've kind of you're in a position I, I think the first step in able to, you know, even enact any change and to like take a stance is to like be comfortable with who you are and like you know, you kinda gotta figure your own shit out before you start telling other people the way to do things. And then to,
1: and I would never tell anybody I think a lot of it is questioning too right yeah exactly and um
0: indigenous culture I I th- I mean this is not my fight it's not even something I'm really knowledgeable about but it's it's super interesting because like you know there's so much talk but we're in traditional knowledge traditional yes, culture yes but that has to be reconciled with like indigenous culture is alive and growing and thriving. Exactly. And it's the role of younger generations in any culture to question noise exactly. and to raise those questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have a paddler yelling at me from the boat. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Do you have any, uh, other things you want to touch on? or How are you feeling?
1: Well, yeah. But I mean, like <laughs> it could, it could always be covered uh off record or uh in another, podcast. another like I like i know lots of people that would love to talk like delve more specifically into um you know the ideas that young indigenous folks have for uh how things go down
0: amen going and forward i guess all all i'm gonna say on that is colleen canny soon to be hardest i I am excited to be your friend. I like the way you're owning a lot of these things. I like the way they're raising these questions. I like like the way you keep doing, doing what you do. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, Thanks you for wanna, having
1: me, Ryland.
0: Do you want to ring the uh, ship spell?
1: I shall.